Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Joining me today is AJ Kaufman. We have lots of great conversations with AJ uh, here on the Ed Morrissey Show, and uh, he joins us today. And uh, a couple days after the elections, we're recording this on a Friday uh, as we're tooling into the weekend. Uh, we're seeing, I think, a, a pat patterns develop here. Maybe several more days before we get anything firm. But AJ, I mean, I think that. We're, it's going to come down to Georgia and the Senate, and at least it's probably as good as it's going to get for the GOP in this cycle. And they're probably going to wind up with a very thin majority in the House. I, I think that that's, I think that that's how I'm seeing this shape up. How are you seeing this shape up? Well, I hope it comes down to Georgia, Ed. I mean, we still have to hope that Laxalt hangs on in Nevada, and that's looking a little dicier as we do this podcast. And um, you know, if, assuming Laxalt holds on, then yeah, it'll come down to three and a half weeks of intense discussion and campaigning in Georgia, like we saw two years ago. And we know that didn't turn out as well as we'd hoped, but there may be a difference this time with uh, less time, uh, only one candidate, maybe a former president that won't get too involved uh, uh, for that runoff. Um, and, you know, Raphael Warnock, my gosh. I mean, if this guy winds up winning two runoffs in two years, I mean, it almost... It's hard to fathom, but it may happen. It, well, it's going to be close, right? Yeah, it's very close. close. And so I don't, I don't expect a blowout in either direction. It's going to be close. Um, <clears throat> I think the question here is, you know, what happened? Um, as we're talking, you know, you've got uh, leadership fights that are apparently going to materialize in uh, both the Senate and the House Republican caucuses, right? Marco Rubio came out this afternoon and said, we should not have a leadership vote until we've had a leadership debate, which is a pretty good sign that he's not on board with, with you know, um, just simply a, a quick ratification of the current leadership slate in the, in the Senate. Um, there are people who are, who are asking for something similar in the House, but I think that Kevin, uh, Kevin McCarthy actually might be in a little bit stronger position vis-a-vis -vis his caucus than Mitch McConnell might be at this point in time. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, his caucus, yeah, it's an interesting leadership in the House. I mean, McCarthy, I, I've always felt was a little bit weak. I think he's too too much of a politician. And he tr tries to, you know, balance the the Freedom Caucus and the MAGA wing with the rest of the House. Uh, I like Steve Scalise. Um, Elise Stefanik is a very strange person. She was a moderate upstate New York congresswoman who has now become the queen of MAGA. I mean, she is she is one of the few that's defending Trump. Uh, the last couple of days. So it's a, it's a strange group, Jim Banks, same same boat. Um, but as far as the election goes, like in terms of what happened, I mean, we're not going to go back and rehash our predictions, but I will say that I, I thought it would probably be 50-50 at the end. I was hoping I'd be wrong, yeah, but- You did, yeah, possible, I remember that conversation. It's possible I could be correct. I'm still hoping it's 51. Um, I think you said 52. So if, if, you know, split the difference, we'll see. The house is where you and I differed. And, you know, I think we're only going to pick up maybe 10 at the most. I believe I said 15 and you said 27, 28. So I was not as optimistic. Obviously what happened in the house was I think, um, you know, because in the Senate, it's a personality, it's an individual race. I think a lot more in the house, you know, abortion ranked a lot higher in people's minds in places like Pennsylvania and maybe New Hampshire and Arizona and elsewhere than we imagined. And I think it came in second at like 27% in a lot of exit polls. And after the economy, of course, but crime did not materialize as as big an issue as Republicans had hoped, and frankly, as it should have. It ranked below 
the economy and below abortion. And maybe yeah, yeah, so, I wrote about this yesterday too. Right. Uh, I mean, when I saw those exit polls on election day, mm-hmm. and this is before the polls were all closed, right? these were early exits, and they and they they held up in the overall exits, which was that you know. Yeah. Uh, it was it was economy thirty two percent, abortion twenty seven percent, crime eleven percent, and I looked at that and I said, "This is not going to be as good a night as we were in." And that's in- nationally, and that's not just among Democrats, right? No, that was that was overall, yeah, right. Among it's Democrats, amazing. abortion was forty two percent, and it was eleven percent among Republicans, which you know is probably at least a significant part of that is pro lifers. But I assume. <laughs> but but I mean, it was clearly. And Republicans never really had a good answer for it. They never messaged on it. They messaged heavily on crime. And I think that was really the thing that worried me the most was after they spent more money on ads on crime in the final few weeks than they did on the economy. And it was a bad bet because as it turned out- It was a bad bet. It was a, that's a thing. It seemed like an okay bet and the cable news channels pushed it and the blogs pushed it. And it was a bad bet. I don't know, you know, I'm not saying I disagreed. I thought people, because crime affects everyone- it affects suburban too, not just urban, and even affects rural. But you know, it's 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 disappointing. Um, I will say that. I think I said to you on Friday, uh, last Friday, you know, when we talked, or last Monday, thirty first of October, when we spoke, that right. I thought the reason that the Democrats would do better in the Senate than you thought, and maybe other conservatives that you might find on TV thought, was because I figured that they would rise above Biden's low approval ratings, and I. Don't know if I name names, but I always figured it would be Mark Kelly, who was always more popular than Biden, Maggie Hassan, um, maybe Cortez Masto in, in um, Georgia, and John Fetterman, who, you know, we can talk and make fun of John Fetterman all we want. And he's not only has the health issues and is far radical, he is popular. I'm sorry, folks. I don't like him. He is popular. He outperformed Biden incredible, incredibly out in Western Pennsylvania among the white working class. And he outperformed Trump. A lot of those people probably voted for Trump once or twice, and they went for Fetterman. You can see the numbers in these heavily white working class counties of Western Pennsylvania, where people thought that, you know, would be voting Republican. They didn't. And part of that is Dr. Oz, who, I'm sorry, was a terrible candidate. I've said it from day one. We would have won with someone else. He had no connection to the working class. He didn't even try. And people thought he was from New Jersey, and that actually worked. Um, And I hope we never see him again, frankly. Well, okay. As a candidate. I actually think that Oz got better as a candidate as as it, as the as the race went along. I thought but he, he didn't relate to people. He just couldn't. No, I mean, I think that he was actually engaging people. I think he was doing the groundwork. Necessary. Working class people. No, I mean, in working class people, you should be reading some of what Selena Zito. Um, but wrote. Selena Zito was wrong. She she admitted today in the Washington Examiner she was wrong. The bottom line, I know she lives no, out I'm, there. I'm talking. No, wrong. I'm not talking. About, I'm not talking about her prediction. She was wrong about her prediction. Okay. I'm talking about. Her reporting on what he was actually doing, he was out actually talking to voters, sitting down in the sitting down in the diners, you know, going, going, you know, not rallies, but actual retail politicking. And and she said he you know, and, and I think he did as well as he could in the environment that he was in. Um, but, and, and I'll tell you what I think the actual big problem, biggest problem in Pennsylvania was, was Doug Mastriano at the top. Oh, of the right. I'm sorry. Yes, we can't ignore that. A Trump and, and Trump endorsed crazy candidate, conspiracy, maybe a little bigoted, awful candidate. Awful candidate. Awful candidate. And Correct. Josh Shapiro. And I don't want to take anything away from Josh Shapiro because Josh Shapiro was going to win that race anyway. I mean, he's a very good candidate. He's a very good, smart guy. I don't know. I was agree surprised he only won it by 10 or 11 points, Shapiro. Actually, frankly, closer than I thought it might be. Uh, yeah, but um, but look, I mean, um, 
I think that that was really the big issue there. There was a joke going around. I thought it was pretty funny is, you know, um, do I want to vote for the party that nominates brain damaged people or do I want to vote for the party that loses to brain damaged people? I mean, um, that was sort of the that was sort of the joke that was going around after Fetterman won. Fetterman, look, I mean, Fetterman's Fetterman is not capable of doing that job. I have no idea how that's going to play out. Maybe he gets better. Maybe he doesn't. Um, but that was that was both parties failure, right? Dave McCormick gets in. If Dave McCormick won that, um, won that primary and he damn near did, I think Dave McCormick wins that election. I think so too. And so, yeah, I mean, candidate quality mattered and it didn't matter just for the particular race that we're talking about. The Doug Mastriano thing was Arizona. Arizona is another great, um, uh, Mark Burnovich who probably would have won that Senate seat. And the um, other gentleman, the, there are two others in that race that probably would have won. I think Masters was the only one in that race who would have lost. But he was promoted by the media, the populist Tucker Carlson media, the former president, and I guess others. And he won the primary fair and square. But that's, you know, I think other candidates would have won. So you got oh, yeah, to I'm, 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 I'm not saying that it wasn't fair and square. Voters selected these people. Right. I mean, they, 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 you know, they certainly took the recommendations of their favorite politicians, um, you know, and, and kept that in mind. But voters selected these people. They, these are the people who leg they legit won the primaries. I have no complaints about that whatsoever. But, you know, we saw something very similar in 2010 and to maybe even to a, a good extent in 2012, too. With the I know we were going with this. Party, <laughs> right. I mean, you, you, this is the Sharon Angle problem. This is the Christine O'Donnell problem. Um, this is the. Todd Aiken and uh, Richard Mordock problem. Um, and uh, and I don't even think that Mordock was that bad of a candidate. He wasn't. I was, I was going to defend Mordock because I lived in Indiana then. He's a very sharp pro-Israel, good, good conservative. Yeah. He made one comment that wasn't handled well and that kind of doomed me. And I think he was, and I think he actually kind of got shafted on that because his comment actually wasn't bad, but it was in the same context as Todd Aiken's ridiculous comments about, you know, you can't get pregnant after a rape. Uh, or during a rape, which is <laughs> insane. Um, not true. He's, he's, it was absurd, you know, he was, um, but at any rate, I think Mordock kind of got the short end of the stick. Got tied in with that, yeah. Yeah, it was, he was actually a better candidate uh, than that. Um, but at any rate, I mean, when you have these sort of movements, which are populist, now Tea Party wasn't quite as populist populist as the different, Mag different. different. It was more on more on uh more on hardcore you know fiscal conservatism the tea party was than, than populism populism is not fiscally conservative no it's not but but it's the same sort of dynamics right so yeah sure sure if as those if those movements mature then they get better at that type of thing right they get a little bit more adept at selecting candidates and that's what happened with the tea party you know and by 2014 you know a lot of the people who were running there uh, were the product of uh, candidate recruitment that combined Tea Party activists along with the, you know, the party establishment. You know, they actually were able to ally together to to draft good candidates, and we're still benefiting from that. Yeah. Uh, now the problem is though that that wasn't what happened here. Clearly, there was this uh, complete conflict. Uh, in party leadership. And this is something Politico's writing about today. And it's the reason why Rubio is saying we should not have a vote until we hash this out. There was a huge um, disconnect between Mitch McConnell and Rick Scott at the NRSC 
between the Senate Leadership Fund and the NRSC. Um, they didn't coordinate. They were con they were conflicted almost, you know, for almost the entire cycle, and uh, in part over candidate recruitment, which Rick Scott didn't want to in get involved in. Uh, it's a mess, and I'm not even sure that it matters who's to blame for it. <laughs> the problem no, is, but it's, it, it's everybody has to be held accountable for it. You know, Rick Scott is a first-term senator, a great governor, by the way, not a great senator great in my opinion. Governor. I'm not sure. I know how these I know how these NRSC and NRCC chairs work. Um, he's a strange choice, in my opinion. And he did promote candidates. The, the four or five we've mentioned, uh, McConnell got on board with Walker because everyone was on board with Walker. I think I heard someone say this week that Herschel Walker clinched the Republican nomination in 1980 when he won the Heisman Trophy, because that's what he wrote on, to, the, to the nomination. There were other good candidates in Georgia, but no one really was against him in leadership. But when it comes to Pennsylvania and Arizona and maybe Nevada and New Hampshire and possibly even North Carolina, Wisconsin and Ohio, which we didn't even talk about, you know, these were Rick Scott and, and Donald Trump's candidates who some of them conspiracy theorists, some of them not most of the, some of them extreme right, some of them more populist. Um, you know, look, we don't need to get too into it. But J.D. Vance, I'm glad he won as a Republican. But the governor, DeWine, won by 25 points and J.D. Vance right. won by five. McConnell had to sink a lot of money seven. into Ohio. I thought, I thought it was seven. I thought he okay, it may have been seven by the end. It was single digits. Yeah, and it was single digits. And 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 he underperformed Mike DeWine. That's a huge difference, 25 versus seven. And that's we know we know why. Vance not as popular for various reasons. Also, some something of an election denier that we sort of backtracked. People don't like election deniers. I think that's the problem. We realize that now. There's very yeah. few people still talking about that. But Vance sucked up a lot of money and it helped him win. But it didn't that, that money didn't go to Washington, Colorado, New Hampshire, even Arizona. So that hurt. And I don't know, Rick Scott, I just, he had a social security plan, which is a different discussion. Um, they, it, we fizzled out. We fizzled out be, from, and we didn't get the huge gains we wanted to because of candidate quality. And because I don't think the Democrats had great candidates, um, but they also had some incumbents. The power of the incumbency is important. Yeah, and, uh, and Republicans had five retirements in a cycle where they were. We discussed uh, this. This is not a great map. This is not a great no, map. It wasn't a great map. Was. But, but, but here's the thing: great map, great map in 2024. But this is the reason why you have this leadership I agree. discussion right now. No, Rubio's correct. You don't I want agree. to screw up a great map in 2024. And I think at the very least, um, everybody in that Senate Republican caucus had better make sure that whoever they have at the top of these organizations are going to work with each other well. <laughs> I mean, just simply at flat out, that's a first requirement. If you're not going to work together well, then we're going to shuffle this around until we find two leaders who will, because it wasn't a great map. It wasn't even a good map. This was a tough map for the, for the Senate. I told people that. However, however, they had yes. plenty of opportunities to win. I mean, Don Bolduck in New Hampshire was a giveaway to Maggie Hassan. That was the Aiken strategy. We talked about that before. Yeah, right? I was hoping that Bolduck would, would pull it out. Clearly, didn't even come close. Um, but Chuck Morse probably would have beaten Maggie Hassan. In yes, he would have. Yep. I mean, um, I, I'm pretty sure New Hampshire is a, is a blue state, but it's uh, there's so well, few in New Hampshire that you Chris could, you know, 30,000 votes, you know. Yeah, but Chris Sununu ran away with the gubernatorial election. That's I mean, correct. He's I mean, a moderate Republican and very well liked, correct? And Chuck Morris is a moderate Republican and very well liked as well in New Hampshire. Right. Well, there you go. Um, what can I tell you? I, You're I, making my point for me. I know. I, I know. I'm I'm agreeing with you. Hey, Ted, um, Ed, I, I have a couple stats, though, that I thought were interesting that I read this yeah. morning. So the independent vote is what helped the Democrats a lot. 
um, in this race. Uh, they won independence, I forget the actual number, but they won independence very by, by a decent margin. Even though Republican turnout was strong, um, the electorate was actually more Republican than Democrat than uh, 2022 versus which, 2020. Which we assumed, yep. Which right, we assumed. Democrats won independent voters. And someone I heard say, it's maybe the first time he can remember that a party that controlled the presidency won independence in that midterm. So they got a lot of independence. They may have even had some self-identified Republicans. But the numbers in the presidential election of 2016, Trump and, and Hillary split independence, pretty much even. In 2018, they went 15 points for the Democrats, independence in the midterms. In 2020, Biden won them by nine, the, the independents. And this year, the Democrats uh, won them by 12. And that's, you know, that goes back to candidate quality, goes back to maybe some issues with, with policy issues, former president, I might, whatever. I think it goes back to, I think it goes back to Democrats being a lot more successful at messaging on abortion. Yeah. And, and Republicans missing the bet on crime. I think that they thought they were going to get the independence with the crime issue. Yeah. And I can't blame them for that. That's, that's, that's the one strategy. I'm not sure why we know people are concerned about community safety, but they didn't vote on it or they voted on abortion. I think it was a, I, I think it was a complete, a completely rational bet. And I, I can't fault anybody for, for, for betting no, on it, except to this extent is that they probably should have asked more voters. They probably should have done a lot more work on the ground, finding out exactly which voters were concerned about this and where, and maybe not using the Nash. Yeah. I, I've written about this in going red, you know, that's uh, right over there. Um, red on my, on my bookshelf too. There it is. There it is. Yeah. National messaging is not usually very successful, especially in national issue messaging, because it's different in every single community. So you have to know how to contextualize these things. And a bigger issue in New York where Republicans did well, by the way. It may have been a pretty decent issue in Wisconsin where Ron Johnson won his election. He didn't, very win close. It as, didn't win it by as much as we thought he was going to win it, but they did rely heavily on the, on the crimes. Um, uh, issue there too. But I, it, the abortion issue, I'm going to come back to this because I know I've seen people, you know, David Harsanya, who's, 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 uh, opinion I respect mightily is insisting that it didn't have anything to do with this, but even pro-life groups are saying Republicans really screwed this up by not being assertive on this. Mm -hmm. They allowed Democrats to paint Republicans as extremists because what happened after Dobbs, they tried to pass a, they tried to pass or at least they were floating the ideas of complete abortion bans, both at the federal and state level. Initially, initially, initially yeah. right. And then when it became clear that that was a really stupid idea, <laughs> it was a really bad idea. So just give it a few months to let the, to let the, the, the facts play out a little bit and then find out where the middle is on this thing. Yeah. Um, they did well toward the end. It's funny when you watch the debates. Now, I didn't I, I don't care what they say about an abortion in, in New York and California, places where it's not going to have any effect. And that's why it was pathetic that Kathy Hochul kept bringing it up because Lee Zeldin said it's not going to have an effect on people right. in New York. But in Ohio and Arizona and Georgia and, so, and such and even Pennsylvania. Well, Oz had a pretty weak answer because he's not really that pro-life, frankly. But, no. there, there, you know, um, Masters and Walker and uh, even Baldock and others and Vance had pretty good answers. They were pretty neutral on abortion. They were talking about European models and about 15 weeks and 12 weeks. I thought that was okay, but I think the writing was already on the wall, if that's the cliche, and voters already said, oh my God, J.D. Vance and Blake Masters and Don Baldock are going to force me to have, force me to give birth, let's just say. And, right. uh, and that affected people in the suburbs more than crime. 
Yeah, I mean, Susan B. Anthony List, which is a you know a, a, one of the oldest pro-life groups in America, they've done they've been through a few election cycles, made a very good point, which was that after that initial screw up, Republicans just kept saying, well, we're just going to leave it up to the states. We're going to leave it up to the states. So they didn't even want to talk about the issue when they should have been very vocally pointing out how radical the Democrats were on this. Some issue. did. Some did. But you're right. Not enough. Some did. Not enough. Not enough. Rubio, Rubio, well, look, Rubio did. And he won by 20 points. So there's a, there's an example. That might have been the reason. Um, and the governors yeah. are, and governor, by the way, and governors are different than senators. I mean, that's the thing. Senators may have a vote someday on it, but governors are the ones in charge of the state. So, you know, yeah. if you don't have an answer on that as a gubernatorial candidate, by the way, Mike DeWine is a very pro-life guy and he won by 25 in a state that's reddish, but not exactly, you know, ruby red. So yeah, but I don't think DeWine was talking about bans, right? And DeSantis, by the so. way, Ron DeSantis. Well, that's pretty strict law in Ohio. Pretty strict law. Was it eight? Eight weeks, ten weeks. It's 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 around there. Yeah, it's not twelve. I mean, it's uh, a heartbeat bill. Yeah, and so but Dewine comes off as a nice professorial bureaucrat, um, where JD Vance doesn't. Right, so right, it's true. So, People but I mean, Ron DeSantis, by the way, Ron DeSantis backed the fifteen-week right. bill, which was basically what Roe was before Casey. Right. is what you've got in Florida. And Ron DeSantis backed that, not because he's not because he likes abortions, but because he understood that that's where Florida voters were at. And, right. and it's sustainable um, with that. And if if Florida voters change, Ron DeSantis probably, you know, um, flex around that anyway. But but this was uh, to me, this was Ron DeSantis is uh, is is clearly a pretty brilliant guy. I don't know anybody else who's taken a, a borderline purple slash blue state and flipped it into a you know a completely red flood zone in four years right yeah that's what i, I wrote that was the first part of my article that i wrote on wednesday at lid blog was just basically saying he's got a you know i think he should wait until the florida legislative session's conclusion in early may but to go in four years like you said from sort of a fringy congressman trump devotee who only won by like thirty thousand votes to arguably america's most successful governor re-election by 20 points and 1.5 million votes, even with all the people that have moved to Florida, by the way, there are a couple hundred thousand that have come down. There's 400,000 more Republicans in the state than there were four years ago. Even with all that, it's still pretty impressive. He won Miami-Dade. So did Rubio. <laughs> they won. both did. Yeah, yeah. And, he, and both of them won West Palm, or Palm Beach, excuse me, Palm, Palm Beach. Beach, right. Palm Beach yeah, not, not Broward. Broward's the more liberal one, but yeah. They, that's well, what they do. yeah. I mean, if he won Broward, I would I would call this an extinction level event. For Florida. <laughs> right. Florida Democrats are pretty much dead anyway. In fact, and to be honest, Val Demings was not a terrible candidate. I mean, that's that no, was she wasn't. No. Chris, on the other hand, <laughs> he's, he's lost six elections now in the last 22 years or something. Chris, I, I got to tell you, I, I know this is this may be a little off track here, but I just have to say this. I think Charlie Crist is a performance artist whose idea was whose concept, his conceptual performance is, how badly can I lose an election? I mean, this is a guy who started off yeah. uh, the day after the primary by declaring that anybody who likes, uh, liked Ron DeSantis uh, shouldn't vote for him because he doesn't want their vote because they're haters. When Ron DeSantis was, I think, toting around a 56% yeah. job approval rating in the state that Chris wanted to win. Um, and then he picks um, Hernandez Matz, uh, I think it's Carla Hernandez Matz as a running mate, yeah. who's a teachers union official who was pressing so hard for school closures that she sent hearses to a, I forget which, uh, I forget, I think it was a Ron DeSantis. A performative politician at the worst, yeah. 
They're both performative politicians. And right. this is, again, where candidate quality matters. Now, um, who was the, uh, is it Nikki Freed was the other? Yes. Uh, I was going to say his primary opponent was was worse, actually. So right. they didn't have any good candidates. <laughs> he, was, he was the moderate. He was the better candidate in the primary, in theory. They should have run Val Demings against, for governor. for governor, because she wouldn't have won either. No. But she might have helped pull more Democrats up along with her. And this is what Lee Zeldin did in New York. Mm -hmm. Lee Zeldin didn't yeah, win. I'm glad, I'm glad you're getting to that because that's a very good point. He's he, but he came within six points of a Democrat of, of a sitting Democratic governor. Not you can call her incumbent. She she sitting. was she, she's sitting she's, sometimes. Sometimes she's standing. You know, <laughs> she was the one who ended up with the job after Andrew Cuomo got chased out of it. Finally. Um, um, and so she's running for her first term, but she's still an incumbent and her first full term. And he came within six points of her, ran a brilliant campaign, did everything right. He was just running in New York and that just isn't going to happen. But because he ran such a good campaign and because mm -hmm. his, his messages really resonated, you've got what four new Republican congressmen from Congress people from, um, from New York and maybe five and yeah, John Patrick got, Maloney got, got the boot. Yeah, he did. It helped, it helped pull them along in what some might call upstate New York. It's not really far upstate, but like Rockland County, Westchester area. Um, and then also Long Island, Long Island, which, you know, I've always thought historically, at least the Nassau County, which is the first County is fairly liberal because it's a wealthy County. Nassau County is completely red now in terms of Congress, all Republicans won there. In Long Island, and that's because of Lee Zeldin, who's from there. So he did a great thing, and he also there's a great article on oh, I forget the website Persuasion, maybe or one of these interest, or maybe with Barry Weiss's Common Sense about the Asian vote, which we never hear about the Asian vote, never, never. Well, the Asian vote in Queens in some areas went Republican. They like they liked Lee Zeldin, and that never happens, and that obviously helped turn some districts or at least make some elections closer. And uh, that's a key point to remember. So Zeldin is is a the best person who lost certainly of the night right and has a good bright future the guy's younger than i am i believe so you know he's a pretty young guy um unfortunately he's not in office anymore because of course he yeah but he could he can run office. well problem is he's in new york yeah he'll he'll be a cabinet member in the next republican presidential administration i think so too i think he'll be a cabinet member so uh, you know we haven't talked about this yet because i <laughs> frankly on friday i kind of exhausted the topic with with um Dwayne Patterson but I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about this because I know that you're 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 kind of championing at the bit about this talking about the next Republican administration you know obviously Ron DeSantis I, there's no way that Ron DeSantis does not run for the Republican nomination uh yeah. this cycle I'm I'm also going to be um I'm also going to be talking with uh Adam Baldwin on um on the amiable skeptics I already have recorded that and we discussed this but I mean, Ron DeSantis, there's a, he's got a hundred million dollars or close to it in the bank. He's, he's immensely relevant at the moment in a way that he won't be four years from now. Um, he's young, but this is his moment. His moment has arrived. So he's obviously, yeah. he's obviously going to jump into this race. Trump clearly wants to as well. Um, and Trump knows this, right? There's yes, also, I'm yeah, there's. <laughs> There's also, there's also talk about Glenn Youngkin jumping into this race. And apparently Trump knows that too. Apparently, uh, as of this morning, Trump knows that too. Yeah. So look, we'll, we'll give it a few minutes here. But what is what is Trump's meltdown on Truth Social 
two meltdowns last night and this morning. What does that tell you about where he's at? And what do you think that says about where the party's at at the moment in terms of future leadership? Well, I think Trump's outbursts are, are, are clearly a sign of weakness. Um, I think I think they're being perceived as, as signs of weakness by many of his most ardent supporters. Um, and if these people sense weakness or they sense that he's a losing candidate because his whole motif is I, I win and I'm tough and I'm th- and, you know, when they see him being so thin skinned, um, that element of Trumpism that they enjoy begins to disappear. And I think what's also important is that the Trump wing, they didn't like Jeb Bush. They didn't like Marco Rubio. They didn't like Ted Cruz. They didn't like John Kasich, whomever. They like Ron DeSantis. I think every Trump supporter I know likes Ron DeSantis. So if he's going to go after Ron DeSantis, that's not going to fly with his most vociferous supporters. So I did some you know, anecdotal you know, emailing and texting some of my Trump supporting people that are really big Trump supporters, not just voted for him twice, but you know, went to rallies and I'd say have the T-shirts and all that. And right. I think, you know, 20 out of 22 or something like that, these are all genders, all genders, all two genders, um, all Thank ages, <laughs> all geographical, socioeconomic people on the right, not, not left-wingers. Um, and they, 20 out of 22 said that they're either done with him or they're really upset with him. And all of them like DeSantis, you know, so it's really, and he's getting the media to turn on him. And I don't mean like the media, the mainstream media. I mean, like Fox. I mean, like the New York Post. I mean, yeah, Wall Street I Journal. Mean- yeah, I, all of the all of which are Candace murder. Owens. Oh, I didn't know about Candace Owens. She said he's got to calm down and not declare for a while, kind of like Kayleigh McEnany said. You know, if they're jumping off the Trump train, um, it may finally be what's my best analogy? Pulling it may be pulling the station as they jump off. Does that make sense? <laughs> close, close. But I mean, I think it's interesting too because uh, Doyle McManus, who's a Los Angeles Times columnist, is the first one who, who I saw point this out which was that across the entire Murdoch empire, as soon as the <laughs> Ron DeSantis attack went out, man, there was, you take a look at the Wall Street Journal's opinion page that morning, and it's all, we got to dump Trump, right? Fox yeah, News. They've never all been the- huge Trump supporters, to be fair, but I think that's the best editorial page in the country at the same time. Well, yeah, but I mean, Murdoch also employs guys like Tucker Carlson, right? Right, right, right. So- well, you're not going to get, yeah, you're going to, glancing at Fox, you know, even... I, Tucker doesn't really talk about Trump. He's more into like some conspiracies and Blake Masters and all that. But even right. Jesse Waters, big fan, is kind of like he's he's a little bit confused. Hannity's kind of confused. Laura Ingraham's she's never going to really abandon him. Ignores Ke- Kellyanne Conway. Uh, but yeah, they know they know deep inside. No, they just want jobs in the see, Republican administration. I want to I see how many of them actually stick with him after the uh, sounds Chinese comment about Glenn right. Young. Because yeah, yeah, that that I mean that that to me is I, that's a that's a Rubicon right there right I mean um, young kid him after he said things about, about Elaine Chow that were similar I think um, well, you know I mean your career is in jeopardy Chow's, when you criticize it's tough well, he talked about Elaine Chow Elaine Chow actually has Chinese ancestry she's not Chinese though she's You're saying Glenn Young is not Chinese <laughs> well what what made that even worse first off because it was just absurd it's oh, like a that was Friday Friday morning Friday morning. But there's actually a young Kim, a Republican Great congresswoman from California, one big right, from Orange County. Maybe he met young, young Kim. Kim. Well, 
somehow I think that that's uh, that, I, let me let they, me they don't look me alike. this way. It, it's not a good look for anybody. Nobody's defending this, right? You He's can't. The two most popular governors in America, well, and Brian Kemp being the third, who he also doesn't like for other reasons. Two years ago, he's picking right. on the wrong people. These people are well liked by the entire Republican Party. It's not a smart move. He's sitting there in Mar-a-Lago stewing. I get it, but boy, oh boy, you know his fantasies about the 2020 election already hurt us once, and um, you know the fact I that think- he keeps losing. Oh boy, he's he's basically the the establishment loser now, and they usually get tossed aside. Yep. historically all right so i wanted to make sure that i wanted to make sure that we got that in now to wrap things up though yes, um, <laughs> to wrap things up what do you think the biggest lesson is for republicans in the midterm ripple well actually i have a lesson for democrats is that okay yeah feel free i'm always giving they're it not listening they're not listening they are they're everywhere right, right there one right there um there I went, my window's open and he's right outside hey george um Biden, Biden said he's not going to change anything. Um, Biden's very, very, very thin-skinned and very vain, too. We forget that. We talk a lot about Trump. Biden's very similar. And oh, he's yeah. Two peas um, in a pod. They're two peas in they, a they're pod. They're very similar. Despite what people think, they're very similar. Um, Biden and the, the leadership there, congressional leaders, need to continue to ignore the left wing of their party. This is the par- part of the party that proclaims that inflation and cost of living issues and public safety are fake. Fake issues cooked up by the racists on the right. Right. They should focus on the economy and crime and get back into the good graces of people that actually care about and are stressed out by personal finances and the safety in their community. So there's that um, for the Democrats. And in terms of Republicans, I mean, look, for me, I mean, I like to go on focus on policy. So I would focus, you know, continue focusing on the policies that the Republicans are more popular upon, that being economy, inflation, the border, crime, foreign policy to some degree. The culture war battles, mostly, I don't think are great for us. Sometimes they work. Certainly, any anyone still talking about 2020, as we move into 2023, is crazy. And we've got a woman who may be governor of Arizona, who may be Trump's vice presidential candidate, who probably wants to still talk about them. Ironically, her, candidate, her campaign took off and did well when she stopped talking about that. And began right. talking about issues. So that's a that's a lesson right there. Um, yeah, I, I leave it at that. All right. So here's my lesson. And it's Please. the same lesson for both parties. Get new leadership. Your leadership, if your leadership, if your average leadership age is 75 or over, you need new leadership. For both parties, you mean? For both, I'm talking about both parties. Both parties. Find newer, younger leaders. I mean, they don't have to be Gen Z. But by God, they probably shouldn't be boomers at this stage. Well, I think in defense of the Republicans, and you know I like Mitch McConnell a lot, I think Mitch McConnell's the only Republican leader who's over 70, right? I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure. I, mean, I, not, like John Cornyn. I like John Cornyn, but I think John Cornyn. He might be over 70, but John Thune is not. John Thune's an excellent guy, right. I think. Well, um, I mean, no one in the House leadership's over 70. I, and that's fine. Okay. But make sure that the leadership is effective too. And yeah, look, I tell you right now, make sure that it works with, make sure that it can work together. Right. Um, I'm concerned about the house leadership because I think we have essentially four leaders and I I really only like one of them, that being Steve Scalise. I wish he was going to be the speaker. Um, McCarthy and Stefanik and, and Banks who, you know, I used to have a lot more respect for. They're kind of certainly Banks and Stefanik are really a little too out there in the MAGA wing and the, populist, even the conspiratorial wing. So hopefully McCarthy and, and Scalise can work together well, but they're all under 70. So there's that. 
All right. Byron well, Donald is running. It wants to get involved in leadership, by the way. That wouldn't, that would well, be a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Again, cool. both parties, the leadership has aged out. You, you I mean, I, it doesn't mean that they can't be in office, but by golly, you're going to need to get somebody who voted. You're telling for- me Jim Clyburn is too old. Jim Clyburn, I think, is the youngest of the three, isn't he? I, I'd like to, frankly, even though he's 97 years old, I'd like to put Chuck Grassley in leadership. <laughs> he won. Chuck won. Actually, to take that back, I think he's actually younger than the three House leaders. Uh, no, he's 89. He's 89. Chuck Schumer? Chuck Grassley. Chuck Grassley. Oh, Grassley. Oh, I think Iowa. No, Schumer's, Schumer's about 70. No, Chuck Grassley is 89 years old. He's in better shape than most people we know, and both mentally oh, and yeah. physically. And he's going to serve till he's 95, and God bless him. But I mean, he's a committee chair. I'm not talking about committee chairs. Committee I know, I'm just saying, I'm jokingly saying he should go to leadership because you know oh. he's 90. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he, I don't even think Chuck Grassley would want to do that. But uh, but yeah, there, you, you've got some younger people in the Senate. You've got some dynamic people in the Senate, both parties. They should they should be relying on him. Um, same thing in the House. All right. A.J. Kaufman, you can find him at lidblog.com an awful lot. Also at Arut Shiva, uh, which is israelnationalnews.com i think is that is correct you got it and in other places too where else can they find you oh my gosh they can find me in local newspapers across the midwest and south i mean just just look anywhere in ohio minnesota tennessee virginia find a local paper you'll find something i've written it's it's just i spread myself out as best i can so i won't give all the names but yeah you can find me in business magazines sometimes too writing about farming and meat processing plants and nuclear energy it's just you know you know the knowledge is just there you go. Have brain will travel. Reads the card of a man. The travel part, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that reference, uh, I think, automatically disqualifies me for any leadership uh, positions. That's from like the 1950s, man. All right. AJ Kaufman, thanks so much for being with us. And stay tuned for a last message from the Ed Morrissey Show coming up next. A new era at Hot Air has begun, and with the midterm elections just around the corner, our team is ready to fight for the conservative issues and bring you election analysis with new focus and purpose. This November, we face the choice of economic ruin with Joe Biden and his progressive Democrats, or a fresh start on the basis of American strength. But we need your help now more than ever to continue our conservative reporting and mission. By becoming a Hot Air VIP or VIP Gold member, you become an integral part of our team. Not only will you get exclusive access to reporting and commentary you can't get anywhere else, you will help us in our war against big tech and social media censorship. We cover the issues that truly matter, and with your help, the left can never silence us. You will also get access to my twice-weekly discussions with Adam Baldwin on The Amiable Skeptics, where we delve deeply into the philosophies and ideologies below the surface of today's current events. And you will support the vital work of Dwayne Patterson, who knows practically everyone in politics, Tampa's Tom Jackson, who gives hot air readers the inside scoop on Florida politics and more, and Jazz Shaw and our newest team member, David Strong, who offer even more in-depth analysis on the latest political developments. And for our VIP Gold members, Bearing Arms Cam Edwards and I offer direct engagement with members through our live chats, the most fun hour we have in the week. We are humbled by the support our readers have already shown us, and we hope to have all of you join us to keep this mission on track. Over the last couple of months, I've been honored to lead Hot Air as our new managing editor and look forward to all that is to come. On behalf of our team, 
I thank all of you for your support. Help us expose and put a stop to Joe Biden and the Democrats' radical agenda. Join Hot Air VIP today and use the promo code SAVEAMERICA to receive a major discount on your VIP or VIP Gold membership. Thank you very much.